Good morning. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court, my name is Thomas Murtha. I'm the attorney for Donovan White Owl and this appeal and his appeal from the district court's order denying his motion for uh, mistr- denying his motion to dismiss the indictments against him on double on double de- double jeopardy grounds. Um, the indictment was filed May 8th, charging Mr. White Owl with felony murder in Indian country and arson within Indian country. The charges were derived from a cabin fire that resulted in the death of one of its occupants that occurred on or around April 4th of 2019. This matter was eventually scheduled for a jury trial that was to begin on March 14th. It was scheduled for two weeks um, prior to the commencement of trial. Uh, Mr. White Owl had learned that an individual that he had been um, detained with um, pre-trial, Mr. Lovejoy, um, was listed to uh, testify against him that he had allegedly confessed something to Mr. Lovejoy. Mr. White Owl filed a motion to exclude the testimony of Mr. Lovejoy based in part on what Mr. Lovejoy believed was the uh, United States' failure to disclose any information regarding Mr. Lovejoy's reliability. Jury trial commenced. And on Counsel, a- we're familiar with the, with the facts. After the district court essentially said, I'm, I'm going to uh, rule mistrial, yes. was there an objection from, your, from I, Mr. Whiteout? I did not use the words objection. Um, when the district court... It was more than that. I mean, court solicited further comment, right? And there and was I, none. There was a lot of comment. I thought at the end of the transcript. I, I went back and forth with the... So when we got to the... By the time we got to that Mr. point... Mr. Murtha, anything else? No, Your Honor. That's after he said I'm, he's going to declare a mistrial, right? And before that, we had discussed... Well, yes, the, but that, that, that was the time to object. It was my understanding that I had made the point that I wanted time to review um, impeachment materials that I, I didn't know what they were. So I was in a position where I had no idea what was but out what there. What difference does that make about the mistrial question? The mistrial was you were going to get you were going to get your time, Your Honor. I'm talking about you have to make your double jeopardy your timely double jeopardy claim. And I did well, on behalf when, of Mr. White. Two and a half months later, what? Or that was on the eve of the of the new trial, right? Yes. That wasn't timely. Yes, it was timely. That I did not. I, the, case, the, the motion for a mistrial was not untimely, Your Honor. That. That's a jurisdictional question, um, and I, I wasn't precluded from filing that motion based on any timing mechanism, Your Honor, um, that, that I'm aware of, unless there's a rule I'm not aware of regarding that, and I don't think there is. Um, the district court had originally said that I would get these certain impeachment materials. I didn't know exactly what they would be, and I'd have an opportunity to review them. I was fine with that. Then the district court, and in fact, um, that evening, I had uh, been given a three-hour interview, proffer interview, that wasn't redacted. I got the unredacted version 
and had a chance to listen to the entire thing. When we came back to court, the district court then determined that um, Mr. Lovejoy was going to be excluded as a witness. And then the trial proceeded. Did you ultimately get the material to review? Yes. And you reviewed it before making your motion no, or no, after? No. Um, but, but the chief judge, was, he was focusing on the, the time of the declaration of the mistrial. Yes. You, you, don't, you keep wanting to go back and give us the whole scenario. Yes, I do. But we don't need that. We know that. Yes, Your Honor. So focus on when it was adjourned, the court having indicated a mistrial yes. was being declared. Anything else, Mr. Murtha? No, Your Honor. And I assumed he was aware that I didn't agree to a mistrial. Well, Counsel, that's, that's precisely what lawyers are there to do, is to avoid that kind of assumption, is to make a clear record so that as we review it, we can understand clearly where the parties stand at any given moment. Yes, Your Honor. I, I believe that, you know, sitting here in retrospect, when I go through this, um, I could have obviously done a better job. But that would be true for everyone in every instance. Um, even the district court acknowledged that the standard... Well, it's particularly it, pertinent here where the analysis of the appropriateness of a mistrial is evaluating... Uh, whether there's some prejudice to you, whether there's an acquiescence or even a, a acceptance of the mistrial as an appropriate remedy for the instant circumstance with an understanding that the case was going to be retried. I think that the district court had made it clear that a mistrial was being declared no matter what I said or did. Um, but why, wouldn't I, the court, why would the court be clear that the decision to uh, uh, rule a mistrial was going to produce the double jeopardy problem that we're reviewing today. Please, I don't understand the the question. The district court... Well, when when the district court declared a mistrial... Yes. I don't think the district court was thinking that that was going to be the end of the prosecution's case. Okay. Okay. But in your mind, you're, you're presenting to us the court should have known that, and issuing the mistrial was a, an error. I believe so, Your Honor. When I look at the situation... But what did you do, was, or did you do anything to put the court on notice that that was a, a, a problem for your client to have a mistrial? What... I asked for as you, much you had, time. You had previously okay. asked yourself for mistrial. Is that correct? For a different unrelated matter, yes. Twice, at least. Yes, Your Honor, I did. That not related to the incident that happened here, and that was denied. Oh, but I think the... And the, happened earlier in the trial. The court, the court knew that delay was what the defendant was consistently in favor of. So a, mis, a, mis, an, a mistrial... I wasn't in favor of delay, Your Honor. I, I wanted access to the materials. This person, no, I'm talking about, Lovejoy, I'm hadn't talking about testified. The sequence yes, Your Honor. Of delays, of delaying things that are what the court, what the court had before us, the entire, the entire procedural history of the case was the defense didn't want to go to trial. I don't agree with that. And well. You're telling me I didn't want to go to trial? 
Your Honor. Look, we look at it from the district court's perspective. We don't care about the lawyer's perspective. I understand that. We care about whether issues have been preserved for appeal. And this one, in my view, was not. I understand that. Your Honor. Because not only because you didn't do, didn't say anything to the court about, well, there's, you know, this declaring a mistrial has multiple circumstances and factors to consider, like, is there really manifest necessity? And if not, then my client gets double jeopardy protection. I didn't say that, Your Honor. I know. You didn't say any of that. And then you wait two and a half months until the eve of the new trial. And, oh, now I got them. I got them in a box, the prosecution and the district court. I'm going to spring double jeopardy on them and make my manifest necessity argument to the court of appeals. This wasn't some strategy that was devised. I was trying. Mr. Lovejoy hadn't testified. We look at it. It looks like strategy, frankly. They're trying to. That's our perception of the record you give us. My perception. I shouldn't speak for my colleagues. Mr. Lovejoy hadn't testified. It's possible he might not have testified at all. I only needed to review those materials if, in fact, they called him as a witness. If they didn't call him a witness, none of this would matter. You asked for probably weeks. No, I said at least a week. At least one week and probably weeks. I didn't know how much time I needed. And I tried to tell the court I didn't know. The court is running the business of the court. I told the court I didn't know how long it would take. The court kept pushing me. You said at least a week. I've got it in the transcript. Yes. I wanted to get as much time as I could to review things that I didn't know what they were. So I asked for as much time as I could get to do that. I've reserved five minutes. If there are other questions that I can answer right now, please ask them. Thank you, Mr. Murtha. Thank you. Ms. Healy. Good morning. May it please the court, Mr. Murtha. My name is Megan Healy on behalf of the United States. The United States respectfully asks this court to affirm the denial of White Owl's motion to dismiss. Two independent bases support affirmance. The record shows White Owl consented to the declaration of a mistrial, but even if he had not, manifest necessity supported a mistrial in this case. There wasn't an express consent, correct? We argue that there are comments in the record that would evince express consent, but he did not say, I consent. In any event, the record shows that the defendant positively acquiesced his agreement with the declaration of a mistrial. So what facts establish acquiescence? Your Honor, looking at page 75 of volume 7 of the transcript. What page? Excuse me, Your Honor. 75? Yes, pages 70. I'm talking principally about pages 74 to 79 of volume 7 of the transcript. On page 70, the district court had said, had proposed a mistrial, but wanted to hear from the parties. Spent the next few pages of the transcript talking with the United States about our proposed less drastic alternative of a continuance. On page 74, 
uh, the district court turned to Mr. Murtha and said, what's your position on the matter? Mistrial in the United States, referencing the mistrial proposal and the United States' proposed less drastic alternative of a continuance. The, uh, Mr. Murtha then, starting on page 75, talked about how there is an extensive discovery file in Mr. Lovejoy's underlying criminal case. He had just listened to the three-hour proffer interview the night before and then just realized the extent of it. He talked about how Mr. Lovejoy... He asked for a continuance. And then the court said, I'm not going to give you a lengthy continuance. I'm going to declare a mistrial instead. Now, uh, where's the positive acquiescence to that ruling? On pages 75, Your Honor. I'm looking at it. He talks about, and then there's an extent. I know what he talks about, but that's not the key pages. It's up at 80 to 82 that's the key pages, in my view. I would, um, I, I would point to what, the dis what Mr. Murtha said in response to the United States' proposal of a continuance. The United States suggested we can break even for several days. And what Mr. Murtha said is there's an extensive amount of he materials. Said, at least a week and probably more. Yes, Your Honor. And the judge said that's not acceptable. I'm not going to keep the jury that long. Yes, Your Honor. He said that is an untenable. And, and, yeah, and so instead, I'm going to declare a mistrial. Yes, Your Honor. That's the, mom that's the moment that we're talking. That's when the issue either was preserved or not preserved. Yes, Your Honor. So where's the, so you're saying when anything else, Mr. Murtha, and he says, no, Your Honor. That has to be implied consent. Your Honor, or, or I mean, this this positive acquiescence earlier—that's just not—that's—that's that's not a realistic view of what I'm reading in the transcript. Your Honor, I'm using the phrase "positive acquiescence" as related to implied consent, showing his consent. I, I understand that. You're saying "No, Your Honor" was implied consent. No, Your Honor. When Mr. Murtha had three opportunities to object, when the district court asked, what's your position on the matter? He did not object. Instead, he said he needed an extensive delay. Counsel, it's a moving target. There weren't three different opportunities. There were, there were three moments mm -hmm. to take the position. Yes, Your Honor, that's correct. And then correct. the court makes a ruling. Yes, Your Honor. indicates what it will be. That's the moment that matters. Yes, Your Honor, and that's on page 83 of the transcript. Right. And again, on page 86 of the transcript, both times, the district court came to Mr. Murtha three times, giving him an opportunity to comment on mistrial versus continuance. His comments on pages 74 to 79, then the district court, considering the defense's position, determined that a continuance was not a viable alternative in this case, asked, is there anything else, Mr. Murtha, before he had discharged the jury? And Mr. Murtha right. said, no, Your right. Honor. Right. That's correct. That's what matters. Yes, Your Honor. All, this, all the palaver before that doesn't matter, in my view at least. <clears throat> and I mean, that's, that's the ruling that has to be preserved for appeal. Yes, Your Honor. Well, what about the fact that on page 80, the judge said that in making his decision, he had to consider whether there was manifest necessity to declare a mistrial over the defendant's objection? Your Honor, would you read? Since he said that, I, I understand the defense to be saying, well, the judge had already said he was analyzing whether he could declare a mistrial over my objection. So mm -hmm. when he came back later and said anything further, there was no need for me to reiterate what he already knew. 
Your Honor, the record before that comment does not suggest any form of an objection. And it's our position that at that point, the district court was reading what the standard of the law was for manifest necessity, which is an accurate standard. Manifest necessity only comes into play if there is a defense objection. And he was saying this is what the law is. But that's the point. If manifest necessity only comes into play when there's an objection, and the only thing he's talking about is whether there's manifest necessity, Mm-hmm. The defense is saying that indicated the judge understood there was an objection. And, Your Honor, I would say that the rest of the transcript shows, and if you actually look at the transcript before that, there's nothing that indicates an objection to a mistrial. What it implies is... All right, so you really think it does turn on what happened before page 80, not just what happened on page 85? Yes, Your Honor, I think it's very important as to when he's looking at what is the position of the parties is... What is the position of the parties as to a mistrial? We propose a continuance, and the district court goes to Mr. Murtha and says, what are your thoughts on that, mistrial or continuance? And Mr. Murtha paints the district court effectively into a corner, saying, I need an extensive period of time. There's an extensive material here that I want to get into in his underlying criminal case that could take weeks and another team to do. And by those comments, they're simply saying, I'm rejecting the alternative of continuance, and I want to go with what the district is there, court said. Is there any authority that the defense request, prior request for mistrial somehow plays into an analysis of whether there's an objection? Your Honor, in our brief, we cited a Seventh Circuit case, Bulger Basic, in which the defendant had moved for mistrial multiple times. And I didn't hear the citation. I'm sorry. It's Bulger Basic. It's, in, it's cited in our brief. It's a Seventh Circuit case from 1987. And that played into um, whether there was implied consent for a mistrial. It was one of the factors that the court looked at in finding implied consent for a mistrial was previous mistrial motions. All we needed here was an AUSA to stand up and, and ask the judge to clarify whether the defendant objected or not. Your Honor, based on Mr. Murphy. We don't have that, so now we have a record. Your Honor, to be fair, Mr. Murtha's comments were, in effect, saying, I don't want a continuance. I want a mistrial because I need this extensive period of time to do Well, all right. That's your view of it. That is. Yes, Your Honor. Your view of it, but he doesn't say that. And so that's why I say all we needed was an AUSA to stand up and ask for that to be clarified on the record, but we don't have that, so now we... We'll have to decide whether you're right. That's what it means. And, Your Honor, even if even if Mr. Murtha had objected, uh, that's not the end of the story. Manifest necessity um, supported the de- court, district court's declaration of a mistrial in this case. Looking at what was before the district court, um, he was balancing a number of interests, as, as is required when exercising sound discretion to declare a mistrial. And in this case, on one side of the scale, supporting manifest necessity is the public interest in a fair trial designed to end in just judgments, the governmental interest in the administration of justice and the enforcement of the criminal law, which in this case is approaching its zenith and involved a murder, and the district court is dealing with White Owl's Sixth Amendment right to the effective assistance of counsel in a case where White Owl's counsel is saying, I am not prepared to cross-examine a key governmental witness. Plus, we have the presence of three factors that courts have said are reflective of the exercise of sound discretion in declaring and finding manifest necessity. 
Those three factors are. Can the government just say, well, let's proceed with, with trial and see if Lovejoy testifies, and then the issue will be ripe. Uh, Your Honor, we were just finishing, at this point, we were just finishing up um, the, uh, the end of the certified uh, fire examiner's testimony, and Lovejoy was the next witness. And the, just the, the AUSA was very clear when, when commenting on uh, the mistrial and the ultimate declaration in a continuance that there was no question we were calling Mr. Lovejoy. The AUSA was crystal clear about that that no matter what we learned about Mr. Lovejoy and these impeachment materials, which is our position, had been disclosed by this point, that we would be calling Mr. Lovejoy. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't a question of would we or wouldn't we. The AUSA was clear to the district court that, yes, we would call him. I thought there was some question about that. When the, when the uh, um, no, I, may, I have... <laughs> May my case is mixed up as to the... Uh, Your Honor, to, to provide that clarification, it is uh, the AUSA saying we don't need more time, we will call him, is either between pages 70 to 74 of the transcript or in about 75 to 78. Ms. Conroy was very clear that we did not need more time to evaluate the situation, that we will be calling him, warts and all, was the comment that the district court made. Why is the judge talking about an opportunity to depose Mr. Lovejoy? Your Honor, we obviously disagree that that is the law, and we outlined that in a later filed response, that, that there is not an opportunity in this case to depose the, the witness. The judge seemed to think that was why more time was needed, and therefore you needed a mistrial. Why isn't that error, legal error? There's no manifest necessity because there's no right to depose a witness, and the judge should have just told uh, Mirtha, you have a couple days or a day or whatever to Your read, Honor, read this stuff and then, and then take his chances on whether that's reversible error, which mm -hmm. seems unlikely. Go ahead. Certainly. Your Honor, the district court's manifest necessity determination did not turn on a deposition. He was saying that Mr. Mr. Murtha represented he needed more time to conduct this investigation and to review all the discovery material in Mr. Lovejoy's underlying criminal drug conspiracy to try to look for uh, inconsistent statements between witnesses to show that he wasn't showing the truth in that. That's what he was talking about. He made a comment about deposing him, but that is not what this turned on. That is not the basis for a mistrial. It was, it was a comment. It's inconsistent with the federal rules. Uh, but that is that was not a basis on which on which the mistrial turned. Nor has Mr. Murtha argued that that was a basis on which a mistrial turned. Well, I don't know. He says it right before he says, "In light of that delay, I'm unwilling to maintain the jury and grant a brief continuance." So, needs to be part of the analysis. But you don't think so? So I'll look at that again. Your Honor, the the in light of that delay, I think references back. <coughs> to pages 74 to 79 of the transcript where Mr. Murtha is outlining the extensive delay that he's asking for, this indeterminate amount of time to dig into and conduct an investigation into a separate drug conspiracy. That's what I understand the delay to reference. And I think if we look at the district court's later orders uh, in denying the motion to dismiss and the, uh, granting the motion for findings, that that's consistent with how the district court viewed the situation as well. I can't find in the case, in the pages you cite mm -hmm. 
where the AU, Ms. Conroy says it's our next witness and we're ready to call him. Give, she, me, give me a specific page site. For Your that. Honor, she doesn't say he's our next witness. What she's saying is in response to the mistrial. You just said it was the next witness. Uh, yes, Your Honor. If you look, I reached that conclusion because on page 104. We're talking about what it says in the transcript, not your, re yet your conclusions. Where does Ms. Conroy said we're ready to call him and we'll call? The day before, the distant, Ms. Conroy had outlined that we had three witnesses left. And you just cited pages 70 to 74. Yes, Your now Honor. Now we're going a day before. Your Honor, to be clear on the, um, what I was citing is when the district court suggested that the United States also needed more time for a mistrial, Ms. Conroy pushed back and said, we don't need more time. We are going to call him. Well, she says on the bottom of 73, we would still call him as a witness. The judge seemed to be suggesting, yes. well, he's got these impeachment problems. The government might abandon him as a witness. And the attorney says we would still call him as a witness. Yes, Your Honor. She doesn't say he's the next witness, but you're claiming that that was uh, laid out the day before when the order of the remaining witnesses was provided? Your Honor, the day before, Ms. Conroy had given the district court a heads up that we were getting close to closing and we had three witnesses left and we thought we would get to them by the end of the day before, ending with certified fire examiner, examiner Hill. And so we had one to two witnesses left. So that's what was coming next. And if you also look at what was happening the day before, it was all about preparing for Mr. Lovejoy's testimony. I mean, this is, there's one direction the train was heading, and it was toward the, the testimony of Mr. Lovejoy. I see my time has expired. If the court has no further questions, the United States respectfully asks this court to affirm the denial of the motion to dismiss. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Healy. Mr. Murthy, your rebuttal. Thank you. Um, going back to the question of being put in a position where the court's declaring a mistrial and announces the reasons for that, then asks me if there's anything further. And I say nothing further. And one of the ways to look at this is you have the district court saying, um, I was going to declare a mistrial. We discussed a continuance. I'm not giving you one, even a brief one. And then defense counsel is in a position, do you say, um, all right, forget it. Um, let's just do this. I'm, I'm not going to look at anything. Bring them on. Put them on the stand. Or... Um, you cross-examine them and you, are, and you demonstrate the need for what you, what you don't have. Exactly. And that's what that's, the Jenks Act requires. That's building the record. And that's, and that's what I thought would happen. Um, I, I was taken by surprise that there was a mistrial because Mr. Lovejoy hadn't been called as a witness. And the way this was going, I thought maybe he wouldn't be. Um, I didn't know what the United States had on that guy entirely. Um, 
wanted to get as much time as I could. They'd given you the material three weeks before. But they didn't. Well, you said right in there. You said I didn't have time to go listen to it. Right. So you had an opportunity, and now you're saying, well, I didn't have time, so I'd like some more time. And there was the more than just says let's give him a brief continuance. He, you said no, it'll be closer to weeks. Right. And so the question for us is why isn't that an implicit agreement to a mistrial when the government right. says no, we don't need a mistrial. We can have a short break and he can review the material. And you say I don't know, it'll be closer to weeks. Okay. Why I, didn't you at that point implicitly say no, I don't agree with the government that we can avoid a mistrial. I need weeks. In other words, we need a mistrial so I can have time to prepare. I wanted to see what they had. I had listened to a three-hour proffer, right. and I didn't have any written materials or reports, anything related right. to that. But go back to my question. Any cross-references. Why wasn't your statement that I want to see what they have, I need closer to weeks, an implicit agreement to a mistrial? No, I did not want a mistrial. We were in a very good position. The court explained it. There was no witness that could tie Mr. White Owl to that arson other than this allegation that somehow Mr. Lovejoy got a confession out of him while they were over in Stutzman on, on pretrial detainment. We were in a very good position. I, that, I would never acquiesce to a mistrial under those circumstances. But at the same time, I don't know what they have, and I'm getting nervous because it looks like they're not disclosing stuff. And when they start telling me that I'm saying, you know, what what about this TSA report? What about you denying his pretrial release for treatment because he's untrustworthy and not reliable, yet you're coming in here trying to say that he's trustworthy and reliable enough to testify against my client, and then they say that they learned about it at the same time when I announced that they had it, I got worried that there's something there that that maybe they don't even know they have it, and I need to make that inquiry. And so I was making that inquiry. I was trying to get time to look at it, and then the court... So what did you want the judge to do? You wanted the judge to continue the trial for closer to weeks and then bring the same jury back? No, not closer to weeks. I, I, well, that's what I you didn't said. know, but isn't that what you said to the judge? On, he was asking in the government, "What should we do?" They said, "Let's mm-hmm. have a short continuance." Yes. He says, "Well, what do you need? Days or weeks?" You At said, first, "Closer to weeks." It, it, that's not the only thing I said. I started out with days, and he said days or weeks. I said, well, closer to weeks. And at the end, I said, well, at least a week, because I figured we had a week left of trial. And if I could get with something close to that. three witnesses? What's that? With three witnesses? What three witnesses? I'm sorry. I thought counsel said the government had already said we've got three more witnesses. Well, I was confused about that, too. It, it, I thought in the situation we were in, I thought their next witness and their last witness would be Lovejoy, if anything. That's what I thought. So what did you were done. want the judge to do? You wanted right. a week to look through, listen to all these recordings and investigate Lovejoy's whole criminal case. You wanted a week or closer to weeks. If I could get what, it, yes. So what did you want the judge to do? Continue the trial and give me a chance to look at what was there. And if there was nothing there, then we'd start up again. But at least give me a chance to look to see what's there. At the time he's asking me that, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm out of time. Why should, well, I... The judge should have to see how it develops. The judge should have to see what Lovejoy's direct testimony, if any, is before dealing dealing with your, oh, I've got to have at least a week and probably weeks 
to do <coughs> an, a, a, a search that is not defined and you can't define or won't, probably can't. Until he testifies that there's no way I would know. I agree. So all you had to do was say, Judge, I think we should continue the trial and, we, and, and get Mr. Lovejoy's direct exam and see where we are. I wish I'd had you there with me when that happened. Well, you weren't really saying it turned on the direct exam. You were saying you wanted to impeach him with everything in his criminal case. And that would be true no matter what he says. If he says anything that implicates your client, you want to impeach him with all the stuff he did with these other in his own criminal case. Yes. So that doesn't turn on his direct exam. You wanted weeks or closer to weeks to listen to the recording and go investigate the whole case against Lovejoy. I understand why you wanted that. I'm just saying why couldn't the judge have understood that to be a statement that you weren't settling for the continuance. You wanted a mistrial so you would have this ample time. I was, I wanted, I, I did not want that mistrial. We were in a very good position. That, well, that you would, never said that at the time. That's the concern. Yeah, you said, give me weeks, and the judge said, no, it's going to be a mistrial then. And at that point, anything else? No, Your Honor. The judge had already said what he was going to do. He had explained I read that, it that way. That's what I was in the position. He explained what he was going to do. He wouldn't give me any continuance or time, and that's what I was asking for. But the guy hadn't testified yet. The government yet. requested the continuance, and you responded saying, I need a lot more than a couple of days. And the judge said, I, I'm not going to do that. I'll have to declare a mistrial. The issue is I didn't know how much time I needed, so I asked okay, for as much time as I could get. The, the, judge is, the judge is running a full docket, and he's got a jury whose in, interest is civilians is very important and he's got to balance all this and he's got a he's got a defendant and defense counsel who won't say when trial could properly proceed and he says manifest necessity thank you mr murth thank you very much